Friends, welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. This is Kristen Carey hosting today, and I am with Matthew and Joanna Rabsmith again. Matthew and Joanna, thank you so much for joining me again on our podcast. So good to be here. Great to be back. Okay, so the last conversation we had, we talked about the intimacy pyramid, and we touched on so many important topics that the Rabsmiths and I, when we were at a professional conference a little bit ago, we're like, we got to do this again. So today, we are talking about the importance of emotional regulation. This is an important topic for people with sex addiction, unwanted sexual behavior. It's an important topic for betrayed partners. And so just to kick it off, why are you guys so passionate about this topic of emotional regulation? Well, go ahead. I think one of the things that we see is it really serves all parties, right? And so it's, it's it's a key component to a betrayer or someone who's struggling with unwanted sexual behavior or even addiction, it's going to be a key component for their freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be a key component for the partner in terms of healing and empowerment. But it's also going to be the thing that determines whether or not the relationship is going to change, to transform. Uh, and so that the ability of two people to emotionally regulate is the is the number one indicator of relational success. And so for this couple to have a new relationship going forward, which is what they want, right? That's why they're doing all the work. They're going to have to have this skill. And so because it serves all of these portions of the relationship so, so much, we, we just found it really to be the thing that sets apart the couples who are thriving, who are really growing and and making these big strides after such a devastating kind of time in their relationship. Yeah. And I think um, personally and professionally, we're really passionate about it too, right? It's one of the things we first encountered in our journey, um, our marriage journey, when we went to a class and learned um, the tools that we use now with clients around emotional regulation. And it night and day changed our relationship, changed our marriage. And this is pre-discovery of betrayal. And this is what got us really passionate about serving marriages and relationships, what actually made me go get an MFT and become a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, And so we have been passionate about this from the beginning. And it's the one tool that we point to in terms of our recovery journey that helped us go through it so quickly um, and and get to a place relationally that we really wanted to be at. And it's the one tool that we now maintain, we use regularly to stay in a healthy place and we'll use the rest of our relationship. And so, um, and it's also been vital in our work with other individuals and couples in terms of helping them reach their goals as well. Okay, I am really excited and I wanna dive into what the tools or the big tool is. Mm -hmm. However, first, I am just struck with the idea that early recovery, right? I was just talking to Bob and Connie Siegel, did a podcast interview with them. And Bob was commenting on how, you know, he's calm, cool, and collected. They're telling the pastor, this is, yeah, yeah, I've been looking at some porn. Like he seems emotionally regulated because he's (laughs) calm. Right. Right. (laughs) She... And and obviously for our listeners, there are couples where the tables are turned. It's the wife that has the unwanted sexual behavior. She's had an affair. The husband's the one who's been betrayed. So please overlook our use of the pronouns because this is just what your practice usually sees. It's what we usually see, but it is certainly not the story for everybody. So please overlook these pronouns to our dear listeners. 
But okay, so Bob's comment of like, he looks calm and regulated. She looks super dysregulated. So you automatically think, okay, she's crazy. He's, he's pretty, pretty with it, right? Why, tell me why that is not actually the case. What you see is not what you get. (laughs) Well, (laughs) what you see kind of is what you get, but it's still a destructive coping behavior, right? He's not regulated, right? Calm, cool, collected doesn't equal regulated. Right. So you might be, you know, they kind of go hyper or hypo. Right. So maybe when you're triggered and you're in emotional pain, you go to hyper rational, hyper calm. Right. Oftentimes couples will be in relationship where they you try to balance each other out. Right. The system wants to balance. So as one gets more animated, the other person gets almost like calmer are more calm, cool, and collected, right? And so this person is going to get more and more animated, and then they're going to go down even further, right? And so I'm the the hyper um, rational, calm, cool, collected one of our relationship. Matthew is the very emotional one. You can say hyper emotional. (laughs) (laughs) The very, very hyper emotional one. And so it is, it can be really tricky if you don't understand how emotional regulation works to feel like, well, he's the crazy one and I'm so regulated. I've got it all together. What's wrong with him? Right. Mm-hmm. So one of the, the most fun things to do is to break down that myth with clients and help them understand just because you're presenting externally a certain way does not mean internally you're regulated. And that external presentation will be unhealthy for you and damaging for the relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that shutdown, that disconnected, that calm is not a safe response either, right? Absolutely. And what does sexual addiction do to one's emotions? Yeah, it it, it, it creates even less emotional control because what sexual addiction is, what unwanted sexual behavior is, it's a, it's a working out of my painful emotions. And so if I feel defective, if I feel alone, if I feel unsafe or unwanted, you know, I, I, that's not a comfortable place for me to be emotionally. And so I want to soothe that emotion. That's what all of us want to do. And so um, sex addiction, pornography, Unwanted sexual behaviors are just the place that I take this pain and I try to medicate it. Mm-hmm. Well, in medicating it, I do I do two things. One, I, I ignore the actual experience, right? Whatever the painful experience that triggered it, I don't do anything about that experience. And I teach myself that I don't know how to handle emotions. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to handle difficult situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, all I know how to do is medicate. And so the next time that that experience comes, my brain goes, oh, well, I know what we do. We medicate. Mm-hmm. And I go back and I medicate again and I medicate it again. And, and so what addiction does is it locks the brain into this kind of like this pattern that feels really unbreakable, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's where people will talk about this sense of powerless, right? I can't stop. Well, the, the can't stop is that I'm, I'm so locked into this pattern that I can't imagine that there's other ways of doing things, you know, and, and I'll hear this from guys all the time. Like, you know, I guess my choice is I either, I either, you know, punch a hole in the wall or I, I, you know, I walk away from our conversation. And one of the things I like to tell them is those are not your only two options, 
But our brain will tell us that, right? Our brain, as it gets dysregulated and it gets habituated in that dysregulation, will tell you this is the only way. Yeah. And we'll focus on the behavior modification, right? I want to change the behavior, but we'll forget to look where the behavior is coming from, right? If this is a brain pattern issue, it starts with emotional pain. And then that's the same place in the brain that physical pain triggers, right? And we go into this automatic fight flight response. And so there's this stimulus, emotional pain, and this destructive coping behavior. And to change that behavior, we can't just focus on the behavior. We have to focus on where it came from. And, and this is really tricky for a lot of people because they've learned secondary emotions, right? They've Rather than the primary emotions, they focus on things like anger or fear or anxiety. And we would call all of those coping behaviors. That's what you're doing, right? And it's coming from a primary emotion, something maybe you believe about yourself. I'm, I'm powerless or failure, defective, unsafe, not good enough, not worthy, right? These are all the kind of primary emotions that get triggered that then show up in our behavior with ourselves and then relationally. Mm-hmm. And so someone may say like, I'm feeling resentful. And I'll usually invite them to go, no, you're being resentful. Like you're acting in that resentment, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll dig around and we'll, and I'll start to ask, what, are, what is it that you're actually feeling? And eventually they may come to it and they'll say something like, I'm feeling like no one cares about me. I'm feeling like no one is investing in me the way I invest in them. I'm feeling really unloved. And I'm like, yeah, that's the core emotion that's really going to contribute to everything that comes after it. Mm-hmm. So even if I try to just stop being resentful, right? And that's where we get this idea of white knuckling. That's the behavior modification is white knuckling. I'm going to just stop doing this thing that I know is bad rather than I'm going to deal with the fuel that's driving this engine in the first place. Um, because if I'm, if I'm no longer feeling unloved, I, I have no reason to be resentful. People who feel loved don't get resentful. People who feel cared for and balanced in their relationships aren't holding a lot of grudges. They're not going around going, you know, who do I need to be pissed at today? Uh, and so, and so, but we, you know, but we treat behaviors like, okay, we we'll just, just stop doing it, you know? Oh, okay. All right. You know, I'll stop. And that's often how we've treated sexual addiction or unwanted sexual behavior, right? Well, you need to stop, which is true. But if I, if I just focus on the behavior, what we often see in clients is, is behavioral transference. We call it like destructive whack-a-mole, you know? Okay. I'm not going to look at porn anymore. And then we'll notice that that client will start to get angry. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I'm not going to be angry anymore. Oh, well, that person's going to become a workaholic. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to be, a, you know, and all they're doing is just trading behaviors that are causing more problems in their life rather than actually being set free. And this is where we see a lot of recovery couples getting stuck because maybe he's been able to get a good recovery plan, some boundaries in place, stop the acting out behavior. But like Matthew's saying, he hasn't dealt with the deeper pain. And so now it's showing up in anger or defensiveness, maybe resentment, shame, right? That's a big one. And all of those destructive coping behaviors that are still present, what usually happens in relationship, right? One partner's destructive coping triggers the other partner's pain, 
right? So then that spouse on the other side is still feeling unsafe, unheard, uncared for, not thought of, right? And is going to withdraw, maybe pull away from the relationship, shut down, build walls, get angry back, which is going to trigger his feelings of defective, failure, not good enough. It's like a merry-go-round. Yeah. Yeah. And you get stuck on that merry-go-round. And even if that sexual addiction or acting out behavior have stopped, the relationship still feels like a disaster, right? They're not healing. They're they're not getting to that place they want to be. We've had so many couples, you know, reach out to us. And, and as we start talking about their recovery, we'll hear the partner say, you know, it's like nothing has changed, mm. you know? And the betrayer is like, wait, no, everything has changed. It's totally different. And so part of the thing we help them to see is like, they're both true. Yes, some significant things have changed. And that is important. The the stopping of destructive sexual behaviors that are so dangerous to relationships has to be addressed. And if you continue to show up in the relationship in other ways destructively, it would make sense that your partner is going to really wonder if things are really changing, Mm -hmm. if true transformation is happening. And so that's really leading to this kind of frustration Mm -hmm. that that everything seems the same. And so this, this work of emotional regulation really becomes the key of setting couples free, you know, from the beginning, but especially as they start to kind of work into this like true recovery of their relationship. Yeah. Healing from the inside out by learning how to regulate their emotions then also brings healing to the coupleship. And so do you guys usually recommend they learn how to regulate on their own first and then they help, they can enter into co-regulation or how do you do that? Yeah. So with recovery couples, a lot of times we naturally do that because if we start at the beginning and we're working on sobriety and disclosures and things like that, we're working with them individually, right? So we start, yeah, that work of self-regulation from the beginning for both people. Um, And then eventually they well, pretty quickly, they can start to see how it interacts together when they're both dysregulated, right? We'll help them draw out that crazy cycle um, of triggering each other and then learning to use those tools, those skills individually and together as a couple to, to make the choice, right? To have the awareness when I'm dysregulated and then make the choice to regulate and move into a healthier way of interacting together. And I think- Yeah. I mean, one of our distinctions is, though, that we really never move out of that personal responsibility space. Mm -hmm. I am forever responsible for my emotions. Being in a committed relationship doesn't make me less responsible. And I don't look to the other person or the relationship to regulate my emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, I am in control of them. I have that ability. And so does my partner. And that's actually what allows us to build trust. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because if my partner is dependent on me or on the relationship, they're now in the child role and I'm in the parent role. And that's what no one wants in an intimate relationship. And so instead, what we want is we want a trustworthy partner who can handle conflict, who can deal with outside stressors, who can handle emotional experiences and not become dangerously destructive. And that never changes. There's no amount of connectivity and intimacy where that's not the case. Now, what happens is, is that as we grow more intimate and close, 
regulation becomes easier for me. Mm-hmm. The strength of our relationship and the strength of all of my relationships makes it easier to regulate my emotions. Yes. Um, but I think what happens sometimes is, is we flip it and we think, okay, I need to go get a lot of great relationships. I need this relationship to be okay. So I will feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then and that's really tempting when you're in a recovery relationship, right? When you've been through the trauma of betrayal, it can be really easy to, to think, okay, the answer is to, to heal that or know this person is perfectly safe now. Right. Um, and instead being able to say, it's actually really self-regulation, self-responsibility is really freeing, is really empowering as a partner. For me, going through recovery, it was great to know his sobriety is his responsibility alone. It is not my job to regulate him and make sure he is showing up healthy and sober for our relationship, right? Now, there's a little piece of like fear around letting go of control, right? Sometimes it can feel safer to control, but ultimately I knew I, I can never be in a safe relationship if he's sober only because I'm controlling and I'm dictating. Well, and you can't, you're not that powerful either. No, absolutely. <laughs> to I control can't. it. Absolutely not. I can't control it. And that's not the kind of relationship I would want anyways, right? And so being able to let go of that. And then on the flip side, taking responsibility and knowing I can control me means the healing of that pain and that trauma, being able to stay trusting myself and secure in my own body is also not dependent on him. Right. And so my health, my healing is no longer dependent on his recovery journey. And that is so empowering and so freeing to know that like that's possible within myself. And then, like you said, and then as we choose that together, you create that safety and that trust so quickly with each other, right? When you're able to reliably, regularly show up and regulate those situations, when you start to spiral and to change that into something connecting and healthy and safe, it just is going to do major difference really quickly for you guys. I love it. So can you guys unpack the tool that you use to teach couples this? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's 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 called the four steps and it and it works out of a modality called restoration therapy that was originally developed by uh Terry Hargrave, uh, who's a, a marriage and family therapist and a professor, um, graduate professor that Joanna had a chance to study with and we've worked with for a long time. And the idea of the four steps is really just to kind of walk through what's happening with us in our emotional dysregulation to really identify and to do it in the appropriate order, right? We want to focus on the behavior, but we know that's not the real, the problem. The problem is the root. And so we start at the root. The first thing we do, the first step is to identify our emotions. Mm -hmm. You know, what am I feeling? What's going on with me at my core? Like I said, not these externalized emotions, you know, and it's, it's funny, you ask people what they feel and you can get a lot of different answers, you know, like, <laughs> I feel like my partner doesn't listen, you know, <laughs> um, you know, like, okay. or, or my favorite is fine. How do you feel? Fine. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> yeah. Mad, sad, glad, you know, um, you know, and so there's, there's work to be there. And so a lot of the work we do with our clients early on is helping them get to those core emotions, understanding them. But once I've accessed them, once I've named them, then, then I can, I I actually speak them. And it's amazing how empowering it is to actually speak our emotions, Mm -hmm. to, to name the feelings that we're having. So many people squash their emotions, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in the South. You didn't, you didn't talk about what you were feeling, you know? And so to be given permission to say as a male, 
that I feel unsafe was freeing for me. Um, you know, and I still have guys who are like, well, I, I, I don't feel unsafe. And I'm like, well, you sure are acting like it, you know, um, you're controlling and running away. That tells us you're probably feeling unsafe. And then eventually the guy will go, I am, I do feel unsafe, not physically, but I, I feel like this relationship can be taken from me. I go, yeah. So unsafe, you know, that matches. And so the ability to say that emotion and to name it is, is the, really the beginning of freedom. It really helps us focus on what's going on with me. So now I know what I have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Can I ask what kind of a list do you guys use as that core emotions? Cause like we use the feelings wheel and women in the battle just for our check-ins, like how you, how are you showing up today? Let's check in. But that's all, that's like 50 words or something. So what are your, what do you, what are your, what's your list of core emotions? Yeah. So we have a list of probably close to 50 or 60 words. Um, I'll usually prompt clients to tell me or access that place without a list, right? Sometimes what they can tap into on their own is the, the most specific or the most connected to internally what they are experiencing, right? And so that list of words really doesn't matter unless they find something that they connect with, right? And so we'll always say, here's a list to give you some ideas that is not exhaustive, right? Um, and so all of them, though, fall into categories of unloved or unsafe, mm. right? And so the unloved category are things about my identity, who I believe I am. Am I loved? Am I worthy? Am I unique? Do I belong? Right. It's about about who I am and my worth. The unsafe is about my belief about myself in the outside world in relationships. Um, Do I feel powerless, unsafe, out of control, insecure? imbalanced, unfair, right? And so so sometimes if clients are struggling to identify, we'll kind of give them, okay, it's usually in one of those two spaces or both, right? A kind of a mixture of both of those. And so those are usually the types of words we're looking for in that primary emotion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first step is to identify your emotion. Yep. yep. The second is to name it. Yeah. So we, so first step is to kind of to name the emotion. Step two is to name the behavior. Okay. And so, and so I get the emotion out there, I name it. And then the next thing I do is I take ownership of what I'm doing with that emotion. That's destructive for the relationship, right? Yeah. That destructive coping behavior. And that's really important for building ownership, responsibility, but safety in the relationship, right? All of a sudden, if I'm showing up and I'm taking responsibility for my destructive behavior, my partner doesn't have to point out that behavior anymore, right? It's so great. They can stop the blaming. (laughs) You should, that thing you're doing, stop doing it, you know? Right, right. So it's amazing. All of a sudden, you've just like taken that off the table. You're you're saying, yep, and I I can see what I'm doing that's destructive for, for me and for us. And we usually try to help people understand how that behavior it's not just damaging to the other person it's damaging to the relationship the connection and it's also damaging to you right it's not who you want to be showing up as um, and usually just reaffirms the pain that you're believing that kind of emotional pain that's driving the behavior in the first place right yeah. you'll hear someone say you know i'm feeling unheard and we'll ask okay what did you do with that well, I just, I just shut up and I let them talk. Oh, 
you you killed your own voice yeah. <laughs> you know? yep. and 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 how do you think what do you think that communicated back to yourself that my voice doesn't matter you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and so and so being able to see it you know so many couples come to us and they have a decade's worth of fights of each of them telling each other what the other person is doing mm-hmm. and we'll ask them we're like has that worked so far are you seeing significant transformation and change? And so far, we've yet to have a couple say yes, you know? <laughs> Amazing. But yet, they'll go back to that well, right? You know, you're being defensive. Well, you're being controlling. Well, you're being mean. Well, you know, versus the ability to say, here's what I know I'm doing. And if I keep on doing it, it's going to get me and us nowhere fast. Yeah. Um, Doesn't it take couples a while to identify some of those destructive patterns? I mean, there's the obvious ones, like I'm acting out sexually, right? Right, right. But what we about usually, the- We've usually tracked a couple's pain cycle in the first session or two. Oh, yeah. It doesn't take long to It's go, pretty obvious. Oh, yeah, that's the thing you do. <laughs> now, what, and what does happen, and I think you do bring up a good point, what we see, and, and especially for couples who've been in the journey a little bit, because there is a significant behavioral modification it, it's harder to see some of the, the less subtle, obvious the destructive behaviors. behaviors or what people will do is like, Oh, well, I'm not punching holes in the wall anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? And so my, my sarcasm when I'm frustrated with you, well, that's, that's just me struggling with what you're doing rather than acknowledging like, Ooh, instead of dealing with the issue, I'm digging at you. Um, and so, and so it is hard or even trickier, especially with recovery couples is if they are taught tools of how they should be showing up, but not taught the emotional regulation underneath those tools. Right. So a lot of guys are maybe taught, here's how you should respond to your wife's triggers with validation and empathy and understanding, right. You can only do those authentically if you're regulated. Right. Mm. They'll maybe learn these things, learn how they're supposed to sound. They'll show up in relationship. They'll, they'll do the thing. Right. And then the wife is going, that didn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. Right. I know that's what he's supposed to say. It seems better than the other, but, but why do I still not feel good about what just happened? Right. And then they're both left really frustrated. Right. He's frustrated that she's not trusting him more. Um, and she's frustrated that why does this still feel inauthentic? Right. Because she knows she can tell what's underneath is does not match what's coming out. And so it still feels unsafe. Right. But it can be really hard to have the awareness of what's going on if you don't understand emotional regulation, if you can't check that in and go, oh, because you're still feeling defective. This is just you performing, trying to feel better about yourself that, well, now I can show up better, right? Oh my gosh. And, And what's nice is with the tool, it's so simple, it allows for growth and progress. And so coping behaviors that we were aware of in ourselves 10 years ago, we've now kind of pushed down and, okay, what else, what more? And, and as we've had some significant actual transformation, um, we've been able to see where other things are showing up. It's also true that we really only do three or four things. We just do them differently. So, you know, anger can come out a lot of different ways, right? It can come out as resentment. It can come out as criticism. It can come out as blame. It can come out, you know, as rage, And so it may be that I've stopped raging, but I'm still critical. Mm -hmm. You know, it may be that I'm not critical anymore, but I'm sarcastic. It may, you know, and so what's really nice is 
you know, there's usually some, there's some presentation of that coping behavior that's there. And if I'm honest, I want that out of my life as much as anything. You know, we were, Joanne and I were talking about the other day, like, we don't want a home filled with negativity and shame. That's not what we want in any way. And so we're helping each other as parents and as a couple to like spot it, you know, and name it, you know, even those tiny little moments that are easy to just like, let's slide because we're busy and in a rush and okay, let's get out the door and go on our way. Right. Mm -hmm. But those little things, there's still a pattern in your brain that's now ingrained and easier to repeat the next day or the next time. Yeah. So those are the first two steps. And what you're doing in those first two steps is you're tracking, we call it your pain cycle. So the, the cycle of emotional pain, destructive coping behavior, right? That is my pain cycle. And then it triggers my partner's pain, lets them cope, which triggers my pain, leads me to cope, right? And so you're, you're basically just structuring that in those first two steps. Um, and then the next two, that's where the emotional regulation starts to happen. That's when we start to shift out of that pain cycle into what we call the peace cycle. And so, you know, we are not always living in our pain, right? We have moments when we're out of our pain. And so this is how we learn to identify those moments when we're in a healthy place um, and showing up in really healthy ways in our relationship. And we really do that by choosing. I get to choose a regulating emotion. I get to choose what I'm going to believe mm -hmm. because our, our painful emotions are a lot about our beliefs, right? It's where we're putting our faith. Mm -hmm. My belief is that no one loves me. My belief is that I, you know, I don't have a voice. Um, and, and so we, we get a choice on whether that's what we're going to believe or not, you know, and, and we get to, you know, often in our pain, we, we get into these situations that are small, but we make them universal, right? You know, I, I texted all my friends and no one texted me back. What that's telling me is that I'm alone. But in that, I'm ignoring all the people in my life over the years who have reached out, who have called, who have been there for me, who, you know, will be there for me next time, you know, but that's what our pain does, right? It gets us so focused in on this experience that we usually forget the greater story, um, which is really what's true. I think with many of us, we struggle in our faith in God, right? Like there are these moments and you can see it in the Psalms, right? David is like, God, where are you right now? I, I am hiding out. I have people hunting me down and you have abandoned me. And then you can see it kind of worked out in the Psalms, right? By the end, he's usually like, but you are the God who is my shepherd, right? You, you're the God who's been there for me. You're, you're the God who's never abandoned me. And as I sit in this pit, wondering if my enemies will consume me, I have this strange peace knowing that you will be there. And that's really, that's emotional regulation in the scriptures, right? And it's beautiful because it's this realization that there is something greater than this thing I am in right now. And if I can touch into that, if I can connect into that emotionally, spiritually, you know, mentally, I will be set free, yeah. you know? And so it's a lot about finding out what that is, yeah. you know, and that takes some hard work, right? So, you know, we'll, we say these four steps and once you learn them, they're very fast in the moment, right? But to get to a place 
where you're able to utilize them and, and use them to self-regulate takes a lot of work to get there. It takes a lot of challenging your beliefs, having kind of healing moments around your pain, moving into really believing that truth, right? And so we'll work for weeks, months, years with clients, depending on what they've been through, what painful experiences have shaped that kind of brain pattern in them. Um, helping them get to the point where that truth is really freeing and they have access to it in any moment, right? So any moment then when you're dysregulated, you can use these four steps to walk through this, access that truth and actually feel a physical change in your body as you regulate, as that regulating emotion, uh, you start to believe it, right? You let it back into your heart, into your mind. And at that moment, right? If all of a sudden I've regulated that pain, which is responsible for the coping behavior, I've regulated that pain. I don't need to fight or flight anymore, right? If there's no threat, I don't have to run away. I don't have to fight back. And so I'm free to choose a new behavior. Mm. And that's step four. Okay. What is the new behavior you're going to choose and then do it, actually act it out into the relationship, right? And so if I say, you know, I'm, I'm feeling defective and I want to, to run away and withdraw right now. But the truth is that I am worthy and I am loved. And so I can stay present in this moment and I can engage with you, right? Then you actually have to turn to the person and engage in some way, right? So sometimes the, 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 you may say the action, but you forget to actually do it, right? So you have to live this out with your body, with your mind. So you're creating a brand new pattern in your brain. And as you repeat that over and over and over again, you start to kind of heal that pain cycle. It never goes away completely, but you're more and more empowered to step into that peace cycle in those moments when you have that awareness. You know, and we talked about, you know, when we're in our pain, we usually feel like we've got like one choice or maybe two, and they're both bad options. When I'm in my pain now, my brain knows I, I have other options. And one of the options is to regulate that emotion and show up differently. Mm -hmm. And so even if I find myself in a situation that feels like I've been in my whole life or our whole marriage, here we go again. Yeah. My brain actually knows now, wait, no, you've got choices. Mm -hmm. And one of the choices you can make is to regulate your emotion, to reconnect with your partner and to deal with this issue constructively and become a united whole. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's taken time, you know, to retrain that brain. Um, and we don't stop that process either because the brain is always building neurological connections mm -hmm. and, and, and kind of diminishing other ones. So the unused parts of our brains are being offloaded and the used parts of our brains are being strengthened. And so it's kind of that, what do I want to strengthen? Yeah. Do I want to strengthen the belief that I have choices in difficult, in difficult conversations and mm -hmm. situations to be constructive? Uh, if so, I need to practice it habitually. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, that, that third step is to say what I feel. That fourth step is to say what I do and do it. Mm -hmm. And, and, and we go through that process as many times as we need to in a day, in a week, in a month. Um, and, and we know that it's reforming us, you know, that's the, that's the Romans passage, right? You know, I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. You know, I don't know that Paul understood neuroplasticity the way we do, but he, but the spirit spoke to him to say that transformation is about this regular mind renewal. Yeah. Um, and that's really what the four steps are about. Yeah. It's about, I am, I am 
my brain is here because of what's happened to me. These pains are here because what should not have happened to me did. I was betrayed. I was abused. I was neglected. But God has given me the ability to heal that and to transform that brain that wants to wants to kind of act out but instead given me the opportunity to, to rebuild, to restore. Yeah. Uh, and so that's a lot of the process that we help couples through is, is yeah. that, you know, we're going to be continually doing that. And the gift is we get to do it the rest of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're still regulating our emotions. Um, you know, we, oh, yeah. we worked on it. <laughs> Morning, I'm sure we did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Every day there are new opportunities to regulate. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just a much different recovery journey from that standpoint, right? When um, when a betraying spouse is showing up with empathy from a place of feeling empowered and worthy versus defective and not good enough, mm-hmm. that partner feels that so much differently, right? It's going to feel safe. It's going to help her feel like she matters and she has a voice and she's seen and probably will make her feel much safer to open up and be more vulnerable and lean into the relationship, which will help him feel even more empowered and capable and worthy, right? And so you just see a a lot more growth happening much more quickly when you're dealing with kind of those those root things, those core things through self-regulation. Okay, so let me give you guys a scenario. For example, let's say the, the man is the one with the unwanted sexual behavior and he has a shame trigger. Um, and is starting to feel that sense of, of unloved and unworthy and all of that. And so yep. he starts to get angry at his spouse. Yep. And we're let's say he's still kind of early in recovery. Like there's not a there's not still unwanted sexual behavior happening. But what, what does he do in that moment? Can you just run me through what, what should he do? Yeah, he, he should do, you know, what I spent most of my recovery doing and what we encourage our guys to do, which is to go right into that moment and to begin to begin to name it. You know, um, I feel defective. I have many of my guys walk into my office and tell me they feel like a monster. Mm. And I tell them, then that's your pain. And so he may say something like, I feel like a monster, like I can do no good. And because of that, I'm beating myself up. I am shaming myself. And now I'm angry at you. I'm trying to make it your fault. You know, he's he can own the behavior right there. I've made my pain about you and that's not fair. Mm. And then he has to decide what he believes. And this, like Joanna said, this is the hard work and this takes time. But I think there's a lot of scripture that tells us we are not monsters. In fact, the scriptures say we are masterpieces. Mm-hmm. We are we are God's handiwork. And so and so I will have him proclaim right there in that moment in front of his partner who he has hurt. He still can proclaim the truth that he is God's handiwork. He is God's masterpiece. Let me ask you this, Matthew. So like he's coming in with his shame and his pain, right? And. Before he can go straight from naming it into naming the truth, what role do you think him looking into your eyes as his support person mm-hmm. and seeing in your eyes and in your posture and acceptance of him? Mm-hmm. What do you what role do you think that plays as a bridge between that horrible, dysregulated feeling 
to Mm -hmm. actually believing intellectually the truth. Oh, it's huge. And I think, and that's why recovery community is so important. You know, one of the things when a guy tells me he's a monster, I'll usually ask him, tell me about all the guys in your recovery group. I'll go bunch of monsters, right? Just, just really dangerous humans. And he'll go, no, no. I'll go, huh? Okay. Why? Because they're kind. They listen. They're there. They answer the phone. You know, and so I'll ask him, do you listen to them? Yeah. Do you answer the phone? Yeah. You know, are you kind to them? Yeah. Okay. And he's like, oh man, you know, and I'll so you're say, teaching him to have the same empathy for himself yeah. that he has for the other men. Absolutely. And because of the acceptance he has had in that recovery place, yes. that's allowed him to reframe his pain. Now, what happens a lot of times is I want my wife to do that, you know? And, and so now that I've confessed, I'm like, okay, tell me I'm okay. Tell me I'm not a monster. can't do that. <laughs> and, and she's not in that place right now. But the guys in my group who I've not betrayed, a counselor who's trained to know who I really am, uh, you know, a trustworthy person who can see me for I, who, who I am, that's going to matter in that recovery journey because mm-hmm. they're going to be able to help yeah. reflect, right? Yeah. And, and so when we work with clients around finding, experiencing that truth, that regulating emotion, there's three sources, God, self, and others. Right. And so helping them access where do I experience the truth in all those places? And, and eventually self is sometimes the hardest, but also the most important, because guess what? God and others can be screaming it all day long to us. And if we are deep enough in the belief of our pain, we'll just put up a wall and we'll be like, no, I'm not going to let that in. I'm not going to let that in. Right. So eventually it is this personal choice of choosing. This is who I am. And I am choosing for myself to believe that, right? And so that's where we want that to shift, right? From those experiences with God and with others to become this personal choice. So in that moment with my wife, who she's screaming at me, I'm a monster. (laughs) It can be okay. I'm okay. I'm okay when you scream that at me. And I understand in your pain why that would come out. Yeah. Doesn't break my self-identity. If it did, I would go into my shame, I'd get defensive back, I'd run away, right? But it doesn't break my self-identity. So I'm going to show up and I'm going to listen. I'm going to have empathy. I'm going to ask curious questions, right? All of a sudden, such a, and I'm going to feel good about how I respond and how I show up, which is going to reaffirm that truth again, right? Which is so, so important. And, and it's really is phenomenal how, those four steps, right? Getting to that place of truth and regulation really changes patterns, right? I kind of mentioned that we got into this before we even got into recovery. And I think that's a big reason our, we had so much hope from the very beginning in terms of our recovery, because we had seen miracles happen in our relationship already, right? Within six months, Matthew went from being a very angry, quickly angered person um, to, I had never experienced such a drastic change in someone in my whole life. I did not think it was possible to being kind, to being able to regulate. Um, and we just knew from that moment, like, this is it. This is what we want to do. This miracle that we've experienced in our relationship, we want to bring that to other people. Um, and so it's absolutely possible to change those things and, and access that truth and use it to create drastically different 
um, experiences individually and as a couple. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's, that's how we've seen it kind of play out yeah. daily. Guys, really. That is, that is so hopeful. Mm-hmm. And so for all of our listeners, um, just know that what Matthew and Joanna are describing is entirely possible. God made our brains to be able to change. And there is hope that we can have a better relationship than we ever had before if we practice some of these tools, if we use some of these strategies to emotionally regulate, to get to the truth of who we really are, and to change our behaviors. Matthew and Joanna, thank you so much for joining me on our podcast today. And to all of our listeners, until the next episode, I am holding out hope for you. 